Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and share with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about decarbonizing 1 million hotel rooms, if you can imagine that. And we're within the backdrop of COP26. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Keith Barr, and he is the Chief Executive Officer of Intercontinental Hotels. Intercontinental Hotels Group, IHG. And uh, he's, uh, Keith has been with IHG uh, for over 20 years now, since uh, 2000, he's been CEO since 2017. And just to give you a little bit of context, they currently have just under 900,000 rooms and a quarter of a million other rooms in development right now. They have 6,000 hotels in over 100 countries and they're developing 1,500 hotels in the pipeline and they employ around 350,000 people. So that is an amazing number on, on various levels. Two years ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Catherine Dalton, who heads up the sustainability side of things at Intercontinental. So if you wanted to get a little bit more context to today's interview, check out that episode from November 2019, where we talk about single-use amenities in hotel rooms and so forth. Really interesting chat in its own right as well. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago today, it's such a pleasure to welcome onto the show Keith Barr, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Intercontinental Hotels Group. Keith, a big heartfelt welcome onto the show. Thanks, Alberto. It's great to be here with you and looking forward to having a great chat. Excellent. Well, absolutely likewise here. Start off by telling us a little bit about Intercontinental Hotels. I think it's a household name, uh, but you have many brands and uh, you do many things. Yeah, intercontinental hotels and resorts. Uh, 6,000 hotels, as you said, around the world in over 100 countries uh, with 17 brands ranging from brands that you would know very, very well, like Holiday Inn and Holiday Inn Express and in Crown Plaza, which I know you like to stay at, Indeed. up to uh, intercontinental to Six Senses Resorts. Um, so ranging from you know, 100 quid a night to 3,000 quid a night um, and all around the world, different stay occasions. And big presence in the U.S., big presence in China, uh, throughout Asia and through Europe as well, too. So it's, a, it's an amazing group of uh, hotel brands, but more importantly, it's an amazing team. Yeah, and a big team, and a big team. And so getting to net zero is one of those things that's uh, very much front and center in the headlines today. And we're launching, we're airing today's episode at the very start of COP26. So it's a very appropriate conversation to have. What's the state of affairs with having a million hotel rooms and the carbon footprint? Give us a little bit of a layout of where things stand. Yeah, I mean, we've been focused on reducing our carbon footprint for well over a decade. I think we were one of the first in the industry to begin tracking it and actually making it a brand standard across all of our hotels to have a proprietary system, which we call Green Engage, to track. 
energy, water, waste, putting forward tips and tools and resources to lower carbon. Uh, and we had a goal every single year of lowering our carbon per occupied room um, to make sure that we recognize we were going to be a positive impact on the planet and doing the right thing. And so we had a great, great history of doing that and recognizing it, we needed to do more. And I think it, it, we were chatting earlier, consumers are expecting us, our colleagues are expecting us as leaders in business to do more because they're kind of seeing governments maybe not doing enough. And so I think you're seeing more and more business leaders and businesses take a very, very firm commitment to this, recognizing you play a critical role. You play a critical role to shaping the future of the planet and how we can have a positive impact going back to you know, reducing single-use bath amenities. So you impact less waste, you know, having water stewardship programs, but really it's about carbon. And it's a challenging path though. I mean, when you think about 80% of the, my hotels are already built right. and they've been built some for 10 years, some for a hundred years, uh, you know, depending upon where they're at. And so, you know, we have three big focuses right now is uh, how do you take your existing estate and reduce their carbon footprint? And it's basically retrofitting them and putting new, new, new implementations or new programs, policies, procedures, operating standards. That's tough to do. I mean, when, you know, when something was built 50 years ago, um, I mean, come back, talk more about how we're doing it. Then it's about all the new hotels are developing. How do you make those low carbon or zero carbon? And then the last piece really is leaning into renewables and understanding of how can we leverage our scale on a global basis in the markets where they're available to get our hotels, which are many we manage, but many are franchised. I mean, they're run by somebody independently of us onto a renewable energy platform because you know, that's the bulk of our, our carbon footprint comes from energy. And that's going to be the real challenge we face is getting renewables and you know the whole decarbonization of the grid is going to be a topic of conversation because yeah. this is going to only do so much, but governments are going to have to lean into the space as well. Yeah. That's really interesting, actually, the bit that you, you mentioned a second ago about a lot of your properties are actually managed by somebody else. They're, you're not controlling them entirely. So how easy, do you need to sort of cajole people into a more eco-friendly approach, as it were? Or can you sort of dictate, you must do this or that? I, it's it's hard to dictate. Um, you know, we can dictate the standard of you, you can try. To, you, you you track. Um, we can dictate as we're building new hotels. Here's the new prototype and the new standards, the new air conditioning systems, heating systems, energy systems. So on a go forward basis, um, governments can do a better job dictating, and I think that's where we're we come into play of helping to educate governments what we can and can't do. But really, it's about making a commercial case for it, and that's we, you know, fundamentally believe that this is critical for the success of our companies, for the future of the planet. But it has to make commercial sense for owners, particularly coming out of COVID. If you can imagine how challenged the hotel industry has been the last eighteen months, showing up tomorrow and saying, "Oh, by the way, you have to retrofit your entire hotel uh, tomorrow," probably is not going to be the top of mind for many of our owners. But we've done a, a white paper recently, um, partnering with um, Schneider Electric and Gleeds and Arup uh, engineering companies to say, how can you decarbonize an existing hotel and make it make commercial sense for an owner? Mm -hmm. And we found the path to do that. And some of it's just changing how we operate, how we allocate guest rooms, how we utilize public spaces, heating. And then it's new technologies coming in there that are much more AI based and, and understanding of how do we fluctuate energy utilization more effectively. And then there is retrofitting hotels too. And so 
Well, we've looked at a hotel here in the UK. Uh, we wrote the white paper for it. And it's about a five-year payback. You can get them pretty close to being net zero with some level of renewables as well, too. And so it can be done. Um, it's just going to take a bit of time to build that momentum back into the business behind it uh, sure. as a business recovery post-COVID. Sure. I mean, I can only imagine the sort of heartache that you guys have had over the last 18 18 months, 24 months, you know, if there's one industry that's going to be hit uh, with this pandemic is the uh, the hospitality industry. The um, the bit that you touched on about some of these older properties, imagine some of the hotels you might have, especially here in the UK, for instance, you might very well have a building that's 100 years old. Or, um, where, where are the biggest opportunities for improvement, as it were. Is it those properties that are 100 years old where insulation and other things might really be out of sync where you want them to be today? Is it the single-use amenities? Or is that something that's very visual but not necessarily where the most difference is? Where, where are the opportunities really to make some, some wins uh, with respect to the, the carbon footprint? The carbon footprint really comes down to, I think, on a go-forward basis, um, designing the hotels of tomorrow and understanding what is your engineering standards need to be and being probably above local code, you know, because effectively, you know, we're in compliance and with, with local code, but saying, you know what, it has to be more and understanding what is your engineering specifications need to be. And so that's how you, you, you fix the future, right? Which is building zero to low carbon and then getting onto renewables. But I said earlier, 80% of the estates already built. And so, uh, and, and so we can impact about 50% of the carbon emissions we can take out of hotels, we believe, over time. And so you know, we've updated our science-based target from the two degrees, which we had done a couple of years ago, to 1.5, aligned with the Paris Agreement. Um, we've joined the UN's race to zero. And so we're very focused now, having an action plan every single year moving forward to say, how do we just lower our carbon footprint in, in the existing estate? And to your, to your point, some of it's it's just to be tougher in some older hotels where you know it's you know it's insulation it's energy efficiencies and so forth um you know our view is there are companies that are going to get there by buying credits at the end of the day that doesn't really make the difference that you need to and so you know we're, we're focusing on actually changing how we build and operate the hotels yeah. and retrofitting the hotels to get there too so it's going to be taking the existing estate the older hotels it's increased insulation changing out equipment and changing how we operate to really do it. And, and to your point earlier, I mean, we were lowering our carbon per occupied room about five or 6% per year, uh, every year. The year we missed it was actually last year. Um, and the reason for, reason for it is occupancies fell so much that our, our absolute carbon fell significantly, but our carbon per occupied room didn't because we had so few occupied rooms in 2020. Um, but you know, you can definitely sense that talking to owners, there's an appetite to do the work that needs to be done as long as it's going to be commercially viable. And so the other thing we've been doing is also having conversations with local governments around the world of saying, you've got to be part of the solution here and helping us first decarbonization, the grid is going to be critical because every property owner in the world is going to be able to reduce their carbon footprint to a degree, but they can't stop consuming energy at the end of the day, whether that's heating or lighting or whatever it may be. And so we have to be able to get to renewables and that's going to be a critical component to it. And that's what we keep talking to government saying, you know, we're going to step up and do our part on the things that we can control, but you have to decarbonize the grid. And if you don't, then it's going to be a challenge for everybody. And I, and I think that's, 
often one of the things that governments are really good about pushing it onto businesses is saying you need to do more. And we're saying we're absolutely committed to doing more. And here's our action plan. But it only gets us so far as in society. Here's what governments need to do. And there's also the aspect of helping to incent the right behavior at the end of the day with property owners are saying, you know, you want to build greener homes, then how do you build greener office buildings? How do you build greener hotels, whatever it might be? And how, how do you retrofit the existing estate and the things that they can do with credits and programs as well, which we're getting them to think more and more about. Mm -hmm. Without getting too much into the nitty gritty, but are there some properties that, that maybe don't have much histor historical value? You know, we're not talking about the a landmark someplace, but are there some nondescript properties someplace that are so old and so energy inefficient that you probably think, Let, let's get those off the books and let's get other new ones on the books? I think that it happens naturally in our estate. I mean, we're constantly refreshing our estate every single year. We remove um, on average about 2% of our hotels around the world every single year. And that's and and people don't realize, I mean, that, and that's a big number when you think about six thousand hotels and saying we're going to take out two percent every single year at at minimum, sometimes it's up to three percent. And we're very focused on older hotels at the end of the day, you know, for two reasons. One is um, they don't meet the customer expectations today in many instances, right? They're made not in the right location or the right quality we want, and also some of them are just not commercially viable anymore. You kind of look at it, it's hot, it's incredibly energy inefficient and the cost to renovate that hotel, make it meet current engineering standards. And you kind of look at it going, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's reached the end of its useful life. And it's been a great hotel for a long time. It just needs to exit our system. And probably in some instances, it gets knocked down and gets rebuilt to a new, more energy efficient hotel. And sometimes it finds life doing something else. But uh, yeah, we're constantly refurbing and refreshing our system that way um, to make sure that, again, we're just heading on the right path at the end of the day to meet customer expectations and have less impact onto the planet. Fascinating. Really fascinating. And the, um, the well, to your point here about customer expectations, um, customers are really vocal. I guess they've always been vocal, as you probably know. But um, when it comes to the climate these days, I've been hearing a lot of friends of mine, actually, who, who travel a bit. And they were referencing the fact that a few years ago, if you went into a hotel and there was a little sign in the bathroom saying, oh, you know, we care about the environment. If you if you don't want your sheets washed or if you don't want your towels washed, just hang them on the on the peg and clients thinking, oh, that's a bit of that's quite self-serving. That's quite convenient, isn't it? You don't want to do don't, don't want to do the laundry uh, these days, though. I think the customer base thinks, yes, exactly right. I don't want, I don't need to have this towel washed every day or I don't need to do all of this sort of stuff. Um, so they appreciate the, the need to be eco-friendly. What are customer expectations? What is it that you're hearing um, both as a group CEO, but then also interestingly within your different brands? Are your customers at Intercontinental different than Holiday Inn? And do they express their preferences for climate differently? Yeah, so we did a study of about 10,000 adult consumers. Mm -hmm. um, and 80% of them said it was important for them to choose a hotel brand that they knew operated responsibly. So it was it was clear in their mind of going, I want to make sure that I'm I'm staying with one of the good guys. At, at the end. And you were definitely seeing it begin to shift consumer behavior over time. And as you pointed out, the towels is a piece to it. But Really, it's about educating consumers and, and getting their, them in the right headspace going forward. Because you're right, when you're at home, do you vacuum your floor every single day? 
Do you clean it? You know, you think about it. Do you change your towel? Every, you know, all the things that you, yet when you, do you heat your or cool your room to, you know, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, 16 degrees Celsius? The answer is no, right? But you get into hotels, people's behavior has historically changed. They go to the hotel and expect that it's either going to be, I'm going to make this room as cold as it possibly can be. I expect somebody to be in there vacuuming, changing my sheets every single day, things you would never do at home because it just consumes energy, right? And consumes water. And so I think we're slowly educating consumers to say, you know what, it's the right thing to do for the environment. And you can be a positive impact from people going, yeah, I get it now. You know, in the past, people were, were going, we're a bit cynical going, you're doing that just to make more money. And we're going, actually, we're doing it to have less impact on the environment. Um, and now I think people are more comfortable with it. The further you move up the food chain, it's interesting uh, about luxury and lifestyle hotels. I think consumers still expect a bit more. And I think we're going to have to continue to work hard. I think in the in the kind of the mainstream segments, the Holiday Inn, the Holiday Inn Expresses, people get a bit more comfortable. When you go into luxury, people are going, they want a little bit more high touch. And so I think we're going to have to keep gradually nudging them in the right direction. The interesting one, though, is the, the extreme, though. So we own Six Senses Resorts, um, world's best hotel brand by Travel and Leisure, three years in a row, only brand ever did it. Uh, top end of luxury and just known for sustainability and wellness. I mean, it's, it's the, it's cutting edge leading in this industry in terms of, you know, they're going to be zero plastic through supply chain by 2025. They're so focused on renewables, recycling. I mean, it's, it's incredible what this team has done over the years and they're known for it and consumers pay a premium for it. Now it's one of, it's my, my most expensive brand that we operate and people will spend 2000, 3000 euros a night to stay in a hotel where it's incredibly sustainable. Uh, and, and it's, it's a focal point of it too. And so, and people choose to go there and because of it. And so there's a small set of consumers that it actually drives their behavior and they're willing to pay a premium for it. We just hope that changes and expands over time. Right. And that's where we have to get people more and more comfortable with the fact that, you know, we're only two, the hotel industry is 2% of carbon emissions globally as an industry. So it's, we're not the top of the, of the world, but we're a piece of it. But, and fundamentally, if every business out there chips away at this year after year after year, whether you're 1% or 10% of emissions globally or, or half a percent, it will make a difference. And consumers will, we're definitely seeing that, that expectation, that momentum build. Right. Fascinating. Are there now, you, you touched on six senses and some of the uh, cutting edge bits that you have there on the sustainability front. Are there certain things, whether it's at Six Senses or whether it's at the other extreme of Holiday Inn, are there certain things that you're able to pilot and experiment on that then lead to permeation throughout the whole of IHG? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting things about, go back, I'll go to waste as a piece, right? And so, uh, you know, they've been a real thought leader about how do you remove, we, you know, we talked about single-use bath amenities being a plastic. Now it's like, how do you just take plastic out of your supply chain? And, you know, and, and watching what they were doing at Six Senses going, well, we can lift and shift that into our brands over time and get to scale too. So we're constantly looking at each one of our brands and piloting things and seeing, can we, can we make this work? Can we operationalize this at scale? You know, because there's some interesting things we've done. Like we, the, we opened up these resorts in French Polynesia and Bora Bora and pioneered deep ocean water technology to cool to cool the resort so it uses 80 percent less fossil fuels to cool because in, in a resort in the tropics one of your biggest expenses is electricity and what drives that is cooling right air conditioning um it's an amazing technology 
not particularly scalable unless you're on an atoll, you know, where you've got, you know, two miles of ocean down below you that you can naturally bring up cold water. Um, but it's something we can use in other resorts and islands like that. Um, but it, it does get you thinking about what are different ways of leveraging new technologies to, to reduce energy consumption as well. One of the resorts there as well, you know, uses a lot of solar, wind, biofuel. So effectively, when you step onto that resort, you're carbon neutral at the end of the day. Um, and so how do we how do we take those things and lift and shift it? Um, we're, we're piloting new things on food waste in hotels where we're going, gosh, how can we fundamentally change what we produce? Because people love to go to buffets, right? Yes. You I know. mean, buffets is one of those things, right? You think of hotels, yeah. you think this buffet, and then I guess from a sustainability perspective, you think, okay, well, what happens to this buffet? Because I'm not going to eat the whole thing. Exactly. And so how do you, and so we're using, we're piloting AI now, which is looking at all the waste that comes out every single day, what's not being consumed to guide production. So production reduces, less production reduces food waste, also reduces energy consumption and water utilization in the hotels. And so it's looking at the whole ecosystem of what we do um, and understanding how can we effectively just chip away at all the small pieces of it. Laundry is a great example. Um, you know, we, we're using new ozone technology in a number of our hotels, which radically cuts down water consumption, uh, enables you to basically, um, again, get the same outcome, which is incredibly clean sheets and towels and things like that, but using a lot less water because an issue we don't talk enough about, I think, is water. You know, and we're very focused on carbon, but I think water is the next big challenge the world is going to be facing in many markets, which is why we have a number of water stewardship product projects. But it's going to be a real issue in some places. And you're seeing that happen, whether that was in the Western United States, you're seeing in parts of Europe as well, too. And so it's understanding how do we fundamentally just consume less, but still deliver a great experience. Uh, and, you know, my, my, my CR team, the sustainability team, is constantly out there just piloting new things and saying, what can we try that's just new and different? Who can we partner up with? And it may not stick. And some of these things may not work, but it's just constantly looking to innovate and to change. And I, I think you will probably see the hotel experience change more today into the next 10 years than probably in the previous 50. I think the way, the way and COVID, COVID has driven some of that in many ways. Um, you know, I, I joke around with the team. We took everything out of the room that people touched during COVID for safety reasons. And now I'm, I'm asking, what really needs to go back in? Because I talk, I talk to business travelers. Make sure you put a bed. Well, a bed's there, absolutely. But I'm, I'm talking about pens and papers and tents and we, you know all the stuff that we put in rooms. And we've done it because we've always done it. Right. I mean, all, you know, and you kind of go, do we need to? You know, do we need to have that big guest room directory sitting there anymore? Which you know we have to. It takes energy to make it and to print it and to re and it creates waste when we have to edit it and update it versus hey, just put a QR code in there or put it up on the TV and people can find it a different way. And we learned from COVID a lot of things that we used to do, we just don't need to do anymore. And customers are happy with that and actually makes us more sustainable. Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. And on the bit about the uh, Keith on the um, on the removing of plastic of your within your supply chains how can you go about that or what, what's the way to try to explore doing that i think it really has to be partnership you know so we've been um doing a lot more certification in our supply chain of green, green suppliers and understanding what their commitments are going to be over time to overall and how can we buy more responsibly and getting our suppliers to think more about the impact that they have in terms of overall the ecosystem 
uh, it's easier to do with smaller suppliers, honestly, who are, who are more un- unique and boutique yeah. in a way. It's the big ones and figuring out, okay, how can we buy things differently and so forth. Interesting. I think government's going to get more involved in the space as well, too. I think so. We're trying to basically influence them in advance before they're told what they need to do. Uh, but constantly just looking at different ways of buying different suppliers and way, and way things that are being manufactured as well too. understanding how can we, how can we specify products, which fundamentally are going to have less impact, whether it is from, from a, from a plastic standpoint or overall waste standpoint as well too. So it's hard though. I mean, the supply chain is probably one of the bigger challenges for everyone's facing is managing that aspect of it. Right. It's interesting that you've mentioned on more than one instance today, the bit of communicating with government and telling government, you know, help me with this and let's do this, let's do it like that. And I have to say one of those themes that's really coming up from the weekly conversations that I have, and I don't say this to you because you're a corporate CEO, but it's something that's really, I think, coming across from many different angles is the fact that businesses are in many respects the key drivers right now on the sustainability agenda. Uh, we touched on one stakeholder group of yours, which is those those customers who who come in and stay in your hotels. Uh, but then you also have your investor base, right? And I'm curious. I'm sure they're becoming a lot more vocal on the ESG and the whole sustainability angle. Give us a little bit of a flavor for for how that's that conversation is playing out. I mean, it's it's fascinating. So I've been with the company for for quite a while, but only been CEO for four years. In four years, the conversation around ESG has fundamentally changed with shareholders. And so I think there is clearly this focus on investing responsibly and investing for the future. And that's where the movement of capital is going to. You Four years ago, you're sitting down with a fund manager and they're going through and talking about revenue projections and profit projections and growth and so forth. And then there is a short conversation about ESG, making sure that you're a good company and a good investment for them. Now it's, we have the first meeting and then we're having a whole second meeting on the ESG agenda. In the past, we would be doing investor presentations about one of our new brands or growth stories. Now we're doing a full investor presentation on our journey to tomorrow, our 10 year roadmap around people's communities and planet. It's just fundamentally changed between being just a small piece of the investment thesis to a core piece of the investment thesis. And it's being driven by the flow of capital. So when you talk to these funds, they're saying, I've got the pension fund of X state or this industry. They want to be able to say they are investing in companies that are having a positive impact on the planet. So how are you doing that, Keith? How are you doing that at IHG? And so, and it can't just be statements. It's data now. I mean, it's, it's, you know, reams and reams of data being produced to be able to prove and show what you're doing, what you're tracking, how you're impacting it, what's your progress on that. And so I think there, as you said earlier, our, our focus is one to do the right thing, but also necessitated by the fact that to attract investment today, you've got to be able to show that you're doing the right thing. And going back to the government piece, the governments know the outcome they want, which is we want to achieve net zero. We want to achieve the path to 1.5. The, most governments haven't come up with a plan. I mean, they, they, they've come up with the, the outcome they want and they believe. So I think where business have said, because you know what, we're going to have to come up with it. And we're going to have to educate governments of what we need their help with to get us all there, because they're not close enough to some of the detail of what needs to actually fundamentally happen for different industries, because it's going to differ from industry to industry, from country to country. 
you know, we're, we're looking at the, the levels of renewable energy in the developed world and figuring out based upon where can we, where, where do we need to head in different countries and when to be able to get to our overall growth? Where do we need to influence government to saying, you've got to accelerate your investments in decarbonization of the grid in this country, enable us to get to renewables because we can only go so far. That's the level of detail we're going into. Whereas governments right now are sort of in the, you know, talking about what they'd like to see happen uh, and, and a bit of hoping that we get there. Whereas businesses know we have to get there and do our part. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a key area, right? That that clarity of thought on how you're going to transition from where you are today to where you want to go tomorrow. And if you have, you know, it's it's uh, if you have investors who 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 want that visibility, you got to have something to to give them. Without getting into without getting into names, I'm curious: Have you ever had a conversation with an investor that in your mind in your mind lingered as wow that was that was the first time I really realized these guys are taking this seriously. Like, yeah. was, was there one, that wake up call at some point with somebody that, that sort of put you on the spot and said, Keith, what about this and that and the other thing? It was, it was probably two years ago when I was speaking with one of our biggest shareholders and he started just probing on this topic. And, and thankfully we had a good strategy, but you could see that he was going to be going deep and you know, that's when I basically said, okay, I can talk to this point. Let me bring my team in to talk to you. That's where this one hour meeting came in as a follow-up. But, I, and that was the aha moment for me. I'm like, this is a tipping point. This is one of our biggest shareholders, you know, global in nature, um, not boutique. -y. And he, he's going to go deep and his team's going to go deep. And that's going to be one. Then there's going to be two. There's going to be three. And so we, you know, we need to be focused on this and making sure that we're signing up for TCFD and make sure that we can basically fundamentally report in a standardized way, having much more disclosure. And so the level of investment we're making now, the level of disclosure is, is radically different than four years ago. And, but it was that one meeting, which was the, you know, this is here to stay. And you're not going to be able to waffle on these points. You're not going to be able to sit there and say, oh, well, I don't, I don't have the data uh, because they're saying I need to actually be able to report the data to me. And you know, I've, and I saw more and more shareholders say the same thing to me as the last year or two. And so there's huge momentum in the space. And, and in the amount of green capital that's out there that says, you know, I want to invest in good companies, but you've got to be able to show that you're doing the right things. And I mean, the real challenge, though, you know, people always ask me, so why, why have you not committed to be net zero by 2030? Mm. And I said, I'd love to. And, I said, and as soon as I can tell you, I know exactly how to do it, I will. I said, we're on the path by 2050. I'd love to get to net zero sooner. I said, but I'm not going to just go out there and say, we're going to be net zero by 2030 without having a plan. Because truthfully, I won't be here in 2030 probably, right? And so it would be the next, next leader's problem, the next man or woman leaving this company. I, you know, I think you have to be truthful about this. You're saying, here's the real challenges we face as an industry. 80% of our buildings are already built. Here's the things we can control. Here's what we can do about renewables. Here's, here's you know, our engineering plans for future prototypes. That gets us to this point, which is you know, on the path to 1.5 degrees, and I want to get to net zero. And when I can figure out how to do it, I will. But I see a lot of companies out there going out saying they're going to be net zero with no idea how to do it. And that's just not the right thing to do at the end of the day. Mm. Now, that's really good, a really great point, actually. Um... You, you do hear a lot of companies sort of, uh, and even the, the bit about credits and offsetting, and there's a lot of question marks that you can have in there about, well, how, how, 
what's the integrity of that of that claim that you're going to be net zero or net? Um, tell I mean, me a little if bit about enough, yeah. if you're a big enough company and you want to spend money, you can buy credits and you're going to be offsetting. I mean, that's not. I don't think fundamentally as a public company, I think that's great for shareholder value because you're basically you know returning profits that could have gone to shareholders to just buy credits. I also don't think you're doing your part to impact the planet the right way. You know, you're basically pushing it off to somebody else and saying, you know, I'll, I'll buy my solution versus actually doing the heavy lifting that you need to do. And so, you know, we're very committed to, to that path of, of, of making the changes we need to operate our hotels. Yeah. And tell me, how did you get, a, how, how did you get to where you are today? Give us a little bit of a flavor of that uh, Keith Barr journey. Oh, uh, wow. It's never expected to be here. You know, I, um, I started working in this industry when I was a teenager. So my first job was as, as a dishwasher in the summer in a, in a restaurant. Um, got a passion for kind of the food and beverage side, the culinary side. So I did, you know, became a prep cook and a line cook and apprenticed under a chef. And uh, then fortunately got into, um, got into Cornell University, one of the best hotel schools in the world. Excellent. And, um, you know, my aspiration was always to become a general manager of a hotel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was, I did. And then I ended up getting, getting, had incredible mentors, um, and men and women throughout my career who put me in jobs that stretched me, that, that I learned from, that challenged me. Um, and they were advocates and sponsors for me as well too. And so I just ended up getting a, a bigger and bigger roles, um, taking some risks, uh, you know, and, and but having mentors has been critically important and, and sponsors just those moments of, you know, I'm, I'm in operations and this amazing general manager, she um, goes, you actually need to go into sales and marketing at some point to really understand that side of the business. And I'm like, you know, I'm an operator. I don't want to go in sales and marketing. Next thing I know I'm doing sales and marketing and realizing I was pretty good at it. And so then, you know, then my career went to become, you know, a sales and marketing guy and then in operations. And then one of our former CEOs said, you know, if you ever want to, really run a company, you got to realize it's global. It's not just about the US. And, and that's when they moved me to Australia. And uh, then, you know, living living in Australia was fantastic and a great experience. And I had two young, two young daughters at that point. And they said, you know, we need you to go to China. It's going to be the future of the company, which is a third of our growth today. And we need somebody to build a strategy for it. And that was the taking a deep leap into being uncomfortable, you know, going into a, a fast growing, business, building, you know, a strategy for the third of our company's growth and culturally being quite different and taking that, that risk. And, uh, you know, so I think my career has been about having great sponsors and advocates. It's been about taking risks, um, and being comfortable with that. And, uh, and, and just, and honestly, just being, I think learning all the time, you know, being, you know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know when you're, you know, when you're 21, you think you know everything. And you think, you know, you, you just come out of university and you think you're smarter than everyone else and not recognizing there's so much to learn culturally from different aspects of business. And the people who I've seen be the most successful are constantly learning and not just sitting still and have that hunger to try something new, learn something new uh, and expand themselves. And, you know, right now I'm reading books about cloud computing and AI because, that's a huge future for industry. And, and I don't know enough about it. And now I'm not going to be an expert in it, but I need, I know enough to ask the right questions now at least. And so I think that's what makes successful leaders is they're humble. They're constantly learning um, and, and they're authentic. I love it. And I love the fact that you came in from, from that, you know, 
having worked in a kitchen, having done things that are not at the executive level, because I think you're, you're currently, your team is 350,000 people. And we all know the hospitality industry, many people in that hospitality industry are not rolling in money. You know, they're working very hard and they're not making huge amounts. So I think having a CEO who's empathetic and who's been there probably serves them well. It does. And having done most of the jobs in a hotel, and I was just at an event uh, the other day, um, and it was it was a, not in one of our hotels, and it was a, a gathering of a bunch of CEOs meet, and meeting, and then it was followed by a very nice dinner. And near the end of the dinner, I walked up to the staff and a couple of staff, and I said, hey, fantastic dinner. Thanks. You guys did an amazing job. I know it's been really, really tough. And I ended up talking to three or four staff, not my staff. And they go, you know, we really appreciate that. It was really nice for you to do that and recognize it. And, you know, I do that in my hotels. I do that because it's it's an industry. It's hard work. Uh, it's incredibly satisfying. Uh, but I, and I appreciate my, my, my team and I appreciate people who do this day in day out, who take care of people, who serve people and make such a positive impact too. It's an industry. I mean, it's one in 10 jobs globally. And it's an, it's an industry that you can start at the ground level and work your way up. You know, I've met people who started off working at the front desk and today are general managers of hotels. People who started off as a room attendant and are now a director of housekeeping. It's an industry you can grow and, and prosper in. And, uh, and it attracts a certain personality style as well, too. I mean, you, 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 you like to serve people. You like to look after people. You like to try to um, make a difference in people's lives. And I say that day in and day out. You, you don't know why people are there. It can be for the biggest business meeting of their life. It can be because they've lost a loved one. It could be for a wedding. You know, our, we play a different role for different people at different times, but our job is to help them, you know, achieve what they want out of the day or out of the stay. And uh, when we do that well, it's really, really satisfying. Mm. Is there a key takeaway that you'd love to share with our, with our listeners before we wrap up the show today? What's that one thing you'd love for them to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? You know, I, it, when I think about the last 24 months, it reinforced, reaffirmed something that I, I, I guess I probably knew, but wasn't as vocal about. Really, it's about the role of being a compassionate leader and the role of being a compassionate business. I think during COVID, we saw how we can be part of the solution and help people out, whether that is housing frontline workers or feeding people who are building temporary hospitals or helping people when they needed to travel for business, do it in a safe way and looking after our colleagues. And what I recognized was the best businesses, I think, became more authentic and more compassionate in the last 24 months than ever before. And they saw kind of their true purpose and ours is true hospitality for good. And we can make a positive difference every single day in people's lives. We can make a positive impact on this planet. And, and I think it's important to be a compassionate leader and a compassionate business uh, in this day and age in a world that probably needs more compassion in the end. And, you know, there's always this, you know, chasing businesses for profit or you can run a business that can do good and do both. And I think that's hopefully people will take away from what we're trying to do here is that, that we really do care. And we are a compassionate group of individuals who have had a, you know, a, a tough 24 months, but have come out of this as better leaders and better people for it. We could not have ended on any better note than that. Keith Barr, Chief Executive Officer of Intercontinental Hotels Group. Thank you so very much for joining us today on the Do One Better podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to what you have to say, learning and speaking and, and enjoying the conversation with you today as well. 
Thanks, Alberto. It's been fantastic. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Do One Better podcast, as always. You've been listening to a great chat with Keith Barr, Chief Executive Officer of Intercontinental Hotels Group. For information on more than 100 episodes with remarkable thought leaders, just visit our website at legi.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Do share widely with others, your friends, family, and colleagues. Please leave us a review, leave us a rating if you enjoy the show, and I'll catch you next week.